Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. So today I have a very special guest with me. I met Harrison because he actually had invited me to be on his show. And let's just say we really clicked. And so one of his passions is about ancestral healing. And as I was saying to Harrison right before we got on this to record, I just think that this is one of those topics that we could be talking about all the time. Now, Harrison Marr is the host of the Cosmic Love Antenna, the podcast that I was just mentioning. And he is also a heart-centered coach and a spiritual mentor and healer. Harrison, I am so delighted to have you here. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. It's nice to be in your energy again, but this time in your holding the beautiful space and I can already feel the energy flowing. Awesome. I'm so glad. Well, and that's one of the things, you know, one of the reasons why I actually have a very clear boundary about all of my guests have to be empaths <laughs> because it makes podcasting so much easier when there is that energetic exchange. And what I've realized is that with all of my guests, there's this ability to have not only the sort of verbal conversation, but we also get to have this really special kind of telepathic and empathic conversation. And so it really is sort of this amazing, exquisite energy exchange. It's magical. It is magical. So Harrison, oh, and I just want to clarify something. Harrison's last name sounds like Mar, but if you were going to over to his website, it looks different. So the way that, because it's an Irish spelling, and so Harrison Marr is H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N-M-E-A-G-H-E-R. And if I hadn't asked Harrison, I would have completely mutilated his last name. (laughs) Well, it's funny, Jennifer. And so I appreciate you outlining it for everyone. I was joking with you before we started recording. You know, to me now, it's just sort of a part of the process of introducing myself to people. It's just, okay, I understand you're most likely going to have a challenge here and I'm going to embrace you with love and say, this is how it is, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, and I was saying to you before we jumped on that I really wanted to sort of start by talking about you as a very highly sensitive empathic kid, like what was it like? And especially growing up male in a culture that, I mean, it's hard enough being female and being like this, but at least our culture tends to sort of think as females as sort of being in the jurisdiction of this. Whereas sensitive empathic men, I think, get even more pressure to behave in a certain way and to suck it up, get over it, big boys don't cry, all that kind of stuff. So please tell me, like, let's start at the beginning. Like, how old were you when you first started noticing or experiencing your sensitivity? So I just want to honor you, Jennifer, for allowing me to be in the space with you to have this conversation, because I do speak about this to a degree in the work that I do, but you know, I can already feel that we're going to go to some deeper layers that I haven't been to before. So I just, mm. I'm excited. So to, I guess where I can start with that is I see it as a roller coaster in terms of my childhood and, and the sensitivities that I shut down and then awakened. 
And I was lucky enough from a very early age, you know, being born two, three, four, five, six, I grew up in the nature. My, mm-hmm. my family was lucky enough to own a couple of farms and be connected to the earth, connected to the animals, connected to, you know, nature, the God that's outside of us, that's inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. But then, much like you were alluding to, and luckily for me, and I know a lot of people aren't, don't get this opportunity, it wasn't my family that a lot of the pressures came in for me to be the, and I, people can't see me using my fingers here, but for me to be the correct kind of male, it was coming from the outside collective, right? It was coming from the media. I grew up in a religious community and school. And, and then, so from the age of six, seven, that's when I shut things down. That's when I started being more of a manly man. And for me, a big part of this was actually shutting down my feminine, shutting down my feminine nature that I thought that when I started to express that equaled non-masculine. So that was the start. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I just want to say that as you were commenting about, you can sense that we're going deeper, that thank you for the willingness to go deeper. Thank you for the willingness to be real, for the willingness to share your story. I mean, it's sort of like I can ask you the questions, but you're the one who has the willingness to answer them. So for that, I am just so incredibly grateful. And, you know, as you're speaking, I'm so grateful that you did not experience the invalidation or the pressure to be masculine necessarily within your family. But as you were saying, you know, by the time you were six years old, you were starting to experience the social pressure to behave in a certain way and subsequently starting to shut down all of the things that you considered, quote, feminine, unquote. So let's talk about like, what did that look like? And maybe like, or, or, or sometimes I like to say, how'd that go for you? Like, how'd yeah. that work for you? <laughs> I mean, I, I know from hearing a lot of stories, it doesn't usually work very well. But tell us about like, what was that like? Like, and how long did you engage in this attempt at being somebody other than you are? <laughs> it's such a good question. So the first thing that comes to my heart when you ask what did it look like, it was my voice in many ways. My, you know, each person it's going to express in different manifestations. But for me, it was a suppression of my, my metaphysical spiritual voice and mm-hmm. my literal, you know, physical voice that I was expressing. I, a lot of the work that I do now currently is around my voice. But back then, because from what people were reflecting back to me, especially as I started to get move into my adolescence, you know, I was being told based off how they were interpreting my expression that, again, the manly persona wasn't coming through. So for me, what it looked like was changing my voice, restricting my voice. If I sounded, again, quote unquote, too feminine, too emotional, too sensitive, then for me, that was a, back then I thought it was an opportunity to shut that piece down and go more into the masculine side, whether it be changing the actual voice, whether it be putting on a different accent, whether it be uh, just not speaking at all, if emotion was coming up, just you know, numbing that, suppressing that. Uh, into my adolescence, it looked like alcohol, it looked like drugs, it looked like you know, losing myself and not in the beautiful way in, in women. So yeah, that went on and that progressed. And we can talk about later if you feel cold, but then I hit a wall at a certain point. But that was the main sort of manifestation of the suppression of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's something I've heard before about 
a lot of times, you know, in our culture, the way that men or male-bodied people live in the world is that especially if they have a more softer feminine side, it's not uncommon for them to go into almost like a hyper-masculine behavior yeah. and to just really, really, really try to overcompensate. So I've heard many stories from people where before they really accepted and embraced who they truly were, like they were in the military, they were contractors, they were like they were just doing the most macho things they could possibly do because it was sort of like trying to perform in a way so that you're seen, you're fitting into the categories. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, you could not be more spot on. And just a couple of things that rise up in me as you're saying that Australia as a collective, that's a very big stereotype in my country. Mm -hmm. And I say that with love because I see it, you know, reflected back to me. But it's interesting when you're saying that I've come to acknowledge now that this beautiful side of me is beautiful. And not only is it beautiful, it's, it's, it's powerful. But I think even back then, because of how powerful it was, when I, and I'm really grateful for this, but back then it was so painful. Back then, when I was trying to mask myself and over-masculinize myself, I couldn't do it because it's just I wasn't succeeding at it. I think a lot of males, and I see this from just, again, the people I've been able to help and see in the world, a lot of males, quote-unquote, succeed at that hyper-masculinization because they're kind of supported around it. But for me and my unique soul's expression, I didn't succeed. I didn't get the validation even in the hyper-masculinization. And because of that, a lot more pain came into my world. And that pain subsequently is what allowed me to really see the truth. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes total sense. Well, and I so appreciate what you're saying about, you know, like, it's like that whole thing of being a misfit toy. It's like you put the mud on your nose and try to play in the reindeer games. But it's like they all know you got mud on your nose. They all know you're different. And I, I'm assuming you know my Rudolph reference. I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, I don't know anybody who hasn't seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But I think that the thing is that there are those of us who see what the social cues are and see what we're supposed to behave like and try, and it doesn't work even when we're trying. And I just want to acknowledge just like how hard that is when you're you're trying to do all the right things and yet you are still up against this. That's an opportunity. And it's it's so easy to say in hindsight, I know, but it's if we can start to really lean into this resistance, I know for me, I started to understand that, oh, I have a choice. There's a different choice I can make here. That instead of swimming up the stream of ego and resistance and just putting on these layers and faces and, and, and personas that I feel like I should be making to fit into the boxes that have been created for me, there's a different choice I can make. And that different choice is flowing downstream with that beautiful voice that's inside of me that just wants to be heard. And if I can, if I can make that choice and that turn in the river, mm -hmm. then yes, I may move away from the world that I've created outside of me based off the choices from my personas, but what I'm flowing into is more of me. 
and that more of me is beautiful if I just allow it to come forth. Mm, yes. Well, and you're, uh, there are so many rich pieces of what you're describing here because, you know, we as a culture have been going upstream for such an incredibly long time and going against nature, going against gravity. And that resistance is almost like what we experience as the default. And so it's sort of funny because it, it feels like resistance to stop resisting. You know, it's like it's so we've been so backwards that it feels weird to surrender to the flow and to move with the current as opposed to going against the current that our society has. As you were speaking, I was just thinking about like pulling out the kind of qualities or the ways that before you surrendered, before you completely hit bottom, that you were attempting to control it. And I was hearing, you know, like both being changing your accent changing your voice your tone your you know your expression of what you were saying remaining silent silencing yourself and suppressing your voice and not speaking when something was going on that didn't fit into the categories of what's acceptable dude behavior um i don't know if dude is a word that you guys use in australia but here in america it's definitely bloke talk about bloke bloke, is yeah, bloke behavior yeah. there yeah yeah you're yeah you said yeah being a total bloke there and you know just another shrimp on the bobby you know <laughs> it's like just and it's funny because i think america and australia have very similar masculine stereotypes of what hyper masculine is but so and then you were saying you know just some a lot of I'm assuming sexual activity and conquests mm -hmm. and sort of being in relationships with, you know, sort of like to prove how masculine you are. And then also you were saying drugs and alcohol for I'm imagining like the self-soothing and the part of you that just could not be shut down or denied. So I'm wondering, I'd love to, I really love examples in stories, because I feel like that's where we as human beings can really relate to each other. So I'm really wondering, like, so there was the point where you were like trying, and then the point where you realized it wasn't working for you. But then there's the point where it's like, it's not working for you. And you're really coming face to face with how it's not working for you. How did this manifest for you? What did you experience that led you to the point where you went, this hurts too much, I can't keep doing this? How did it hurt too much? Like what happened? So if I'm being honest with myself, there wasn't, there was one moment, but as I've gone deeper into this story, you know, there's been, there were a few mm -hmm. and I'll explain the one moment, but I just want to acknowledge my soul in this, mo in this, in this uh, conversation with you that the pain teacher that I often refer to as it comes because we haven't noticed the other teachers that have given us opportunities up to that point, right? The reason that we'll get a disease or we'll break a bone or we'll have a car crash or whatever the severe event is, is because that we haven't been seeing this, the minor events on the way to the big crash, right? So it's, for me, you know, I'm still dissecting that and I can definitely list some things, but I just, it's ever evolving in terms of me looking back at the things that, oh, that's what, that happened, that happened, that happened. But, but to answer your question, the big pain teacher moment in which everything broke. So I just to really summarize this because it is a big story but the i spent the many years of the of the women the alcohol the drug was a lot of time traveling abroad and it was beautiful in many ways because i got to make a lot of powerful relationships and, and connections and see the the vastness of this earth 
but it was masked in all of the excessive behavior that I was, as you, as you described, I was layering on top of the beautiful essence of what I was to begin with. And long story short, I, after many, many years of doing this, like a, a big chunk of my adolescence, most of my younger twenties, uh, I uh, was in line at an airport, like I had been doing many, many, many times before. And uh, it was at LAX and I placed my passport gave it to the officer mm. and he looked at it five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then he pulled me aside and he took me into a back room and the next 24 hours, 48 hours, almost three days, I was detained. I was questioned. I was locked up. I was imprisoned. Like, realistically, that's what I would describe it as. And subsequently deported back to Australia. And that whole experience, as you can maybe imagine, what had happened was that my whole world up to that point, I had defined by my travels, by my adventures, by my, the people that were on the other side of that gate waiting to see me. And now what was happening through, and it was a lot of fear. Like I'd never been in this situation before. I was being told that I was you know, a criminal. I was being told that I was, I'd done all these things that you know, whether we could have conversations about whether they were right or wrong. But at the end of the day, the story that I was creating around the event was that I was a horrible person, right? And, and everything that I was doing now that up to that point had been telling me that I was valuable, that I had so much power and potential was now saying the opposite. And um, yeah, so then I was deported back home and that was really the bottom that I then had to work my way up from. Mm. Well, and I had a conversation with somebody, you know, I was interviewing somebody the other day and we were talking about when your entire identity is tied into this external experience, and in their case, it was like a, you know, a job like in the science profession, and their entire life was devoted to this idea of being a scientist, <laughs> um, empath and science world challenging. But, you know, and when suddenly, and they were doing all the right things, they were ticking all the boxes, they were following all the rules, they were sacrificing themselves over and over and over again to fit into the mold. And then all all of a sudden it's like the mold betrays them and then it's like who am i without this and i know when i witnessed this with my father when i was in my early 20s and he had just hit his early 50s and he had gotten it was back in the 80s when layoffs were like early 80s when layoffs were just happening you they were just ubiquitous that was happening everywhere and i just remember witnessing my dad's experience of really losing his sense of self like you know and so i really hear that when you've like created this persona and you've created this identity and you've really cultivated this sense of like this makes me okay and then all of a sudden like the universe becomes an agent for change and pulls the rug right out from under you it is not easy. It might be necessary and it might be exactly what the universe is ultimately like it's divine and perfect, but boy, howdy does it suck when you're in it at that beginning stage. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a beautiful wake up call. It's a beautiful, for me, it was like, it's funny you said divine timing. I can't imagine, I would not like, this is such a cliche, cliche thing to lean into, but it's, I could not, could not be more true when I look back at that event and the choices I then made, business I have now, the, my voice, my expression, my podcast, it would not, if I had continued down that path, 
right? There would have been there's a totally different Harrison in that parallel universe that exists, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm just, you know, and we can. We'll, we, I know we're going to get into different topics around this, but just for me, a big part of being able to move through that, and this is probably the advice I would give any other men or women, but men listening, is the gratitude for it. The gratitude for it, because the more gratitude I've leaned into around it, the more subsequent, oh, that more answers, the more dots I've been able to put together, the more lessons, because it's so, because it is so painful and complex at the time, there's usually more than one thing that's being said, right? It wasn't just that I'm not showing my feminine. It wasn't just that I need to express my voice. It wasn't that I was, that I'm a beautiful, sensitive, empathic being. There were multiple things, but how I've, been able to pull out those multiple things is having gratitude and love for the pain rather than seeing it as just something bad that happened that I can now grow from. Yes. Yes. Well, and sometimes I've done this thing where I kind of imagine the trajectory if the alternate reality had happened. And so often I will either see if I run the timeline far enough, I end up in the same place anyway, or I see the timeline and I go, oh, thank you. God, I did not end up in that timeline because that really, it would have been soul crushing. And I don't know, I just had this sort of image of like, I just had this kind of image of you at like some kind of like, probably like Burning Man, actually, as I think about it. And I see you like with neon glow sticks and like big like cargo pants. And I have this image of you just like being this like raver and, you know, and just kind of like floating through your life um, from one party to the next. Mm -hmm. And by your nature, I think you would have still been transmitting like the frequency of like who Mm -hmm. you are here to channel and bring through in the world. But it would have been like just it would have been so not. Oh, you also. I don't know if you have a child at this point in time, but I just had this image of like, you would, you would have a kid by now. Like you would have a kid by now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I think your downloads and your intuitive hits are you know, spot on. And I, yeah. that was definitely the trajectory. And again, I, there's no, no judgment and, and, no. and, and resistance to that within me. But I just, a big, cause you're talking about the soul's expression here and the frequency. I, I think you could not be more correct in terms of the frequency would have been there, but the thing that would have been missing, and this is such a pivotal point in my life now, is the service, is the you know being of service. The, the my I refer to it as my angelic, my angelic subtle energy body, right? The the angelic body that that we all have the option of embodying through us. My soul would not have have had the opportunity to express that piece of it. Right. Well, and also, I think that there would have been enough egoic stuff running that energetically, even though you would have had the essence or the nugget of who you are, what and what you are imparting and transmitting to the world, that I think it would have gotten, my sense is it would have gotten extremely muddied because there would not have been, because not only do you bring service, but you also bring purity. That the sense I get is like you really, whereas in that alternate life, there would have been a fair bit of chasing the pleasure, chasing the accolades, chasing the validation, chasing the acknowledgement, and kind of just sort of like, almost like opportunistically sort of flowing with what came next. But I get the sense that there could have, also, because you are such a powerful being, there could have potentially been a great deal of um, 
inadvertent harm, like energetically, things could have gone sort of bizarrely sideways in the world around you because you are such a manifester and you are so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, were you going to say something before I ask you another question? I know. I was just, I was taking it in. Yeah. My friend, your your reflections and your your intuitive uh, awareness of these visions these are new to me. So I was just I'm really grateful that you're sharing them because, to be honest, with these stories, I have spent time reflecting on them and I have spent time looking at them. But I haven't spent what I haven't spent time doing is what you're describing here is the expression of it. If the what if occurred, right? And I think you're I'm getting goosebumps as you're sharing this because this this timeline, which for people listening, all these timelines exist in this present moment, right? The difference in them is the choices that we make, but it's important to acknowledge them, yes. right? And and see them for what they are, see them for the value that they may have, but also use them in contrast to where you are now to really empower you to be like, oh, this is really where I am now and I'm, I'm embodying this choice that I made. So I was just taking that in. Yeah. And, and you know, and when we can really look at the other timeline and just see it without regret, but also without necessarily nostalgia or like, I wanted that or I didn't get that, that then we can have this sense of gratitude. But it's really interesting, like how, like how it is almost like playing like a movie in my head. This timeline is so vivid that, you know, it really was like you were, it's like you were you were poised. There was as much, it feels to me like you were like, like a bow and arrow or a slingshot where like, you know, the string had been pulled back and there was momentum that would have easily just shot you into this entire like Burning Man, Montreal, like Paris, like you might've even become, I don't know if you ever DJed, but it was sort of like, this entirely different reality, but it was like, there was so much momentum and so much, like you would put so much will into making this thing happen that it would have been very, very, very viable. And yet the universe was an agent for change in that everything you just got, got, kind of got picked up out of the trajectory you were coasting forward in. And like, the TSA became this absolute agent for your destiny and just dropped you back in Australia. That momentum was definitely filled, yes, in that. Amazing amount of momentum. Like, it's kind of a miracle that your agents, that your angels were like, we are going to get these TSA people to like stop to inhibit this from continuing because this is not the plan we want for this person. Oh, I'm loving this, my friend. It's funny that you say the the TSA and the angels, because when I look back at that experience, that was one of the biggest things that was really surprising to me in the, in all of it. As I was moving through the process of it all, the individual souls and the men that were the TSA agents, there was this beautiful balance that they were holding within the experience that was obviously very traumatizing to me, right? They could tell like I was crying, I was upset, I was I was literally just recalculating my entire life up to that point. And the and the agents, the men at the time, they had so much they had this beautiful balance between they were doing a job that they were obviously, you know, they were getting paid to do, that there was their living, that they they were living their own lives. But they also had this beautiful balance of empathy, mm-hmm. and they could see what was happening to me and and what I was moving through, 
and they had so much compassion. But they had compassion, and they, they had no. There was no hate. There was no anger. There was no. They just they were doing their jobs. At the same time, they were trying their best to also share that they felt they could see what I was moving through, and they felt sorry. Mm. So it was. It's funny that you say angels because I do think a part of that energy was actually being channeled through the men that were both, you know, the officers that held me, the officers that were interrogating me, the, you know, all of it. So, yeah, I think that angelic presence that you're feeling was very real. Well, and that it was men. It feels to me like yeah. there's a, you know, there was an absolute reason that it was that all of these agents were male as opposed to female. So, the next piece of the story that I'm just curious about, and I think that this will probably lead us into talking about ancestral healing. But so, okay, so you get picked up by the universe and like, like pulled up into the air and then dropped back down, plunked into Australia. What was that? Like, I'm imagining recovery process might be an, a way to describe it. What happened next? Like, what did you do? How did you rally? Like, so. The way that I describe it is I, you know, the simple version is that I went inside of myself and I don't say that lightly because I, I had literally spent the last, the good part of a decade, to be honest, but, you know, a big chunk of years only looking outside of myself, right, as I was explaining mm -hmm. before, but it was just, it was 99% of the choices that I was making, conscious and unconsciously, were externally based. So, a big part of this process was simply making the conscious choice to now look in at what is happening, what's going on, what am I feeling? What going back to what we're saying before about the childhood and the, the pushing down of the voice and the truth. Now, because of what had happened, I was now making the, the choice to allow some of that truth to bubble up. Mm. And you know what it looked like in the 3D dimension was the service now was bubbling up. This presence in me that was, hey, I'd seen some light coming through these travels, right? I'd seen some things that were really, I could see the passions that were there under the numbing, right? The passions of connecting to people, being pulled to people, the passions of guiding people, like using the physical body at the time to help people nourish themselves and food and all these things. So the first step was one, going inside, but then two, I began by addressing my physical being. Right, because up up to that point, that was the most prominent expression of my, I want to say it, my divinity was how my physical body was. Despite all the choices I'd been making that from the outside looked very destructive, I was still quite a physically fit and strong person. So I started there. I started with okay, how can I build on this? Not from an external perspective at now, but now from an internal pace, space and place of love and reverence for myself. Mm. And so on a really logistic, like specific detail, a concrete level, what actual behavior or actions or choices did you implement at that point in time? Yeah. So two big ones. One were doubling down on my physical practices. So in terms of supporting the body, exercising, moving, connecting to the earth, starting to really make it a devotional act around supporting my physical being through movement and exercise. The second was food, right? Really nourishing, learning about what was feeding my body and what was not, mm -hmm. right? Shifting, educating myself. And the third piece was becoming a personal trainer. So mm. I, uh, I, I got certified as a 
functional personal trainer. And then that opened the doors of more of the physicality and, and honoring myself, but now bringing people into this world that I could be of service mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. So how did we go from physical trainer or personal trainer yeah. to heart-centered coach, spiritual mentor, and healer? <laughs> so for me, I, a big part of this is remembering, and it is a remembering, that we are a multidimensional being of love and light. And what I mean by that is we aren't just this physical form. For people listening, I'm sure of your show know this, but this I I didn't. So, but what was happening was that the deeper I went into my physical being, the more I wanted to know. And once I reached the end of the physical understanding, my mind, and it's funny that you said before that I'm this force and this bow that will get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Right. That that is really applies to my education and my personal development. So how that trajectory started to shape is that I reached the limits of what my physical devotion was giving me. Mm-hmm. So then I had to look somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And what was that somewhere else? It was, it was into my mental body. So I learned about mental health. It was then in, subsequently into my emotional being, right? And starting to express myself through energy and sensitivities. And then ultimately, which is a big part of what I'm doing now in the world, it was understanding, oh, there's a deeper layer I can take after the emotional being, and it is the spiritual soul, and it is the, es- the essence of what we are. And so just in summary, it was a step-by-step process of coming back to myself and the holistic nature of what my actual being is. Well, and I love, you know, I was reading, I, was, I pull cards for my free Facebook group at least once a month. And, you know, I pull three cards and sort of it's like pick one, two or three. And, you know, this is your message. And the card that came through, the final card that came through the other day was the magician reversed. And if you're familiar with the tarot, you know, the magician is the person who's got his one hand is up, the other other hand is down. And sort of the very, very core message of the magician is as above, so below that within, you know, as within, so without. But When it is reversed, you know, and a lot of times as metaphysicians and people on a spiritual path, I think we're taught conceive of it in spirit and you'll bring it into form. But sometimes in order to be able to make that shift, the magician reversed for me is the message of you must make right on the physical plane in order to bring the spiritual into alignment and into rightness and right relation. And this reminds me also of even the idea of what we're starting to discover about healing from trauma and starting to understand that it's like we must address the distress in the dysregulated nervous system and the distress in the brainstem and in the limbic brain before we're going to ever get our cognitive brain, our thinking brain to be on board. And, you know, for since psychotherapy started, it's been going backwards. It's been top down instead of, you know, bottom up. And what I'm really hearing in what you're saying is you instinctively were guided from the somatic, from the body, starting with bringing your body into right relation and discovering all of these deeper, more subtle, more nuanced layers until you got to spirit. So you really did have the journey of as below, so above, or, you know, from below, we move to the above. So that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And it was a, I love the image that you projected there of really 
and this I see this a lot in the spiritual world that now that I spend a lot of time in, is it's so easy for us to do it the the other way, right? Focus on the spiritual, and and then the physical will be supported by that. But we often forget, as you've been highlighting here, that when we do bring grace and love to the physical form, it allows that majesty inside of us to then show its head. And it's been there the whole time, right? That's why this is a remembering game, not an adding on of more layers game. But when that beautiful expression, like I, you, you spoke about the brainstem, I would connect that to trauma. Yes. Right? When we start to you know, give love to the physical tissues and open them up, we're not just opening up physical uh, rejuvenation and lymphatic flow and all these physiological functions, we're also opening up the blocked energy and the expression that's been waiting to be released, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes releasing trauma that has been sitting in our DNA for yeah. thousands and thousands of years. Perfect and segue. Just amazing. <laughs> yes, perfect segue. I, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about trauma. Let's talk about the stuff that gets locked into our DNA for thousands of years. Yeah, so it's, I mean, this is really now where I'm spending my time. Right, to put it very mm-hmm. simply, and I mean, whether it's through the ancestral healing that we're going that we're talking about now, or it's you know inner child work, those are really two mm-hmm. of my pillars currently, right now in this moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm just holding, I'm I'm holding my fingers up for because this is obviously an audio podcast only, yeah. but I'm I'm sort of like crossing my fingers, and it's like because they are so profoundly and deeply interconnected, it's like you almost can't have one without the other. Yeah, yeah. and it's. It's exciting. That's that. Like we talked about this on my show, right? It's it's really mm-hmm. for me. It's where all the beautiful nuances of this physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual conversation really start to blend in all the ways. But just to, I guess, to speak about the ancestral healing now, for me, I guess where I really started to lean into it is, you know, going back to what I was saying about my childhood. Now, I was, and I say lucky, but you know, I don't think it's luck. It was just more of how my my story, this incarnation was written to be. A lot of the projections and the beliefs and the personas that I took on, they were not from the outside. They were not projected by my, by my parents. However, the work that I've been doing, I've now started to realize that those genetic ancestral elements were there, right? And the deeper, the deeper that I go into this work, the more I see my beautiful father my mom too but we'll just speak of this from this from a masculine perspective right i see i see the wounds that are there in my father that i now through the ancestral conversation have the opportunity to not just heal for myself but also support him with which i i think is really one of the most exciting things about ancestral healing well and and you know as we're speaking I'm just the thing that's coming to my mind right now is I mean you have a lot of Irish I mean obviously your last name is an Irish name I have a great deal of Irish ancestry as well you and I are both come from Irish immigrants yep. and the amount and I've recently been really hearing some levels of grasping the degree of trauma that our Irish ancestors have endured and the genocide that we've experienced and and also the incredible, the racism that our ancestors, like we go back, you know, go back one, you know, like only, you only have to go back about a hundred years to come face to face with basically we were treated as scum. And that 
that level of trauma is like powerful stuff. Mm. So (laughs) this this is, uh, in terms of my ancestral elements, surprisingly, this is something I haven't looked into yet for me at all. And I say looked into because I, I think a big part of just for people listening that might be new to ancestral healing, it's less of a looking for game and more of a trusting and and being open to the step revealing itself because you know that we can all start to look down our ancestral line and it doesn't even have to be recent like what you're talking about with our irish background we could just we could keep going and i know scientifically now they're they're saying seven to twelve ancestral uh generations is what impacts us now in this physical incarnation but in in my perspective spiritually and energetically especially when we start to take in consideration of past lives within the ancestral line right to me in my perspective there is no limit there is no number yeah in terms of what impacts you and what doesn't but but what i've found is the empowering piece is that we don't have to do it all right we just we just have to focus in on the one step that is presenting to us right now in this moment right so for example if i'm having challenges in my business or I can't attract a partner in my life or I want to have a child, right? What is the ancestral piece right now in this moment that is wanting to be seen, wanting to be acknowledged and wanting to be brought into the light so it's not, so I can break that chain and be given what I deserve? Mm-hmm. I love how you're speaking about also, like we don't have to do it all and that every, you know, that the pieces of healing reveal themselves when they're ready to be revealed, when it is the right thing to do. And my experience is that healing has this way of sort of works on a quantum level where if we address the one small thing thoroughly, it impacts everything in a far more effective and deeper way than if we try to cover the entire grocery list and like do a little bit of rudimentary work or sort of minimal amount of work for all these pieces, you'll get way less traction than if you just address that one wound thoroughly and completely. It really, really, really transforms. And I, and I would say to that to what you avoid, <laughs> and this is something that I'm constantly being mindful of and you know i'm not perfect and i fall into this from time to time you avoid the superhero archetype mm-hmm. right you avoid the that consciousness expression inside of you of much like we can feel like we need to do all the things for, for the people outside of us right we need to fix we need to be the healer for everyone we feel like we can fall into that archetype for ourselves right so it's releasing and that's a heavy weight right so it's re- it's a releasing of that weight to be just trusting Well, and there's a really fine line between getting into that trajectory of healing and the, I'm going to heal myself no matter what, and regarding ourselves as broken. And I think that what I've seen over and over again is that at the very, very core of all healing is acceptance and love and loving ourselves exactly as we are warts and all that so frequently when we start being in that kind of like superhero, you know, like on steroids, let's fix this, that at the core of that is a fundamental belief that we are unlovable, unacceptable, and not enough as we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to comment as you were talking about sort of the idea that 
our genetic and you know the genetic information that is being passed forward and the ancestral information is only being is only really we're only affected by 7 to 12 generations and in one of the modalities that I trained in they're off they were like well you know you don't usually have ancestral trauma that goes past yeah you know, seven to 10 generations. And I have to say my personal experience is that is just completely not true. I was working with somebody yesterday where she was looking down my lines and she found a 600 generation issue in the paternal patrilineal line. And then I was doing work with another person where we found a 23 generation, 670 year wound that was down the matrilineal line. And my experience is that, well, yeah, maybe our physical representation or presentation, like the DNA is not physically, you're not seeing it anymore, but energetically, it goes all the way back to source. It's like wherever the trauma started, even if we're talking paleolithic times, we're still carrying the energy of those traumas. And it's, I could not could not agree more with you in in terms of my experience and what I've seen, and I would just say to people listening, just be open to it. Like, just what it does. Yeah. And this is, you know, we could have a whole conversation about the religion of science and and where this, these closed belief systems. You know, there are a lot of powerful perspectives within the scientific realm, and I'm and I'm here to give you love. But what I am encouraging you to do with these kinds of conversations is. Just be open because when we hold an expectation of what something like this should or shouldn't look like, what we are inadvertently doing is we're pushing away the unexpected, right? And that unexpected might be a, like you're saying, a 700-year lifetime where you weren't even on this planet. You were in a starseed form on another, on, in another galaxy, in another physical form, maybe in another dimension. And that exact teaching is what you need right now here in this form to do the things that you're doing, right? So. Mm-hmm. have an understanding of your belief systems, but just have an open heart for something more dropping in. And that's that's all you need to do. Yes, yes. Well, and not second guessing ourselves and also like not becoming so enamored of the dogma of even our most favorite, favorite modalities. Like that if you have the choice between what is being presented to you as your experience and felt knowledge and understanding versus a set of rules that defy it, go with what feels right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, when we open that gate, now what we're doing is, and this is why I do so much work with the heart space, Mm -hmm. where we're, we're allowing the heart to come in, right? The thing that's putting those boxes on the seven to 12 generations, it's not the heart. It's not the cosmic no. spiritual heart. It's your mind, no. right? It's, yes. the, it's all the belief systems, all the thoughts, it's all the conditioning. And don't get me wrong, there are some supportive conditioning. There's some supportive programming. But you're going to, at one point, get stuck in that, whether it's negative or, po- or positive. But what you can do is make a choice to drop down to the heart and ask yourself, okay, this is what the mind thinks. This is what the head thinks right now. How about I ask, get a second opinion here? How about I ask my beautiful, mystical, spiritual heart space what it feels around this and listen to that? Listen to that. Well, and, you know, as long as we have trauma, the challenge with trauma is that it it severs the connection between the frontal cortex and the uh, the rest of our brain. And the thing is, the frontal cortex is still working. We're still having the thoughts. We're still having the voices. We're still getting all of the ideas. 
but it, we are not in the place of alignment or discernment between yeah. head and heart. And I think that, you know, and this goes back to, we have to heal from the bottom up. We need to address the dysregulation in the nervous system. We need to fortify and protect the, find a way back into the safety in the body. Mm. And then the mind can engage as a partner without being the dominant power over that has been ruling this planet for the last 5,000 years. <laughs> the, the partner is the key word there because yeah. I see this in myself, especially within the spiritual community. Once we start to take that road back to that heart space, we then can make the mistake of pushing the mind into the corner. Or maybe people have heard the term killing the ego and destroying the ego. And we don't want to do that. Right? We want to have a beautiful harmonization of what you're saying of loving the mind, loving the brain, loving the, the neurological pathways and, and that, that functionality that it provides us and the lens that it helps us be this human in separation of, but also providing space for the heart and the love on the other side. So it's not, it's not a pushing and resistance. It's more of a unity and working together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I keep on having this image of the Queen of Swords, and particularly actually the Queen of Swords from my actual personal tarot deck, the Healing Tarot. And, you know, the idea, the way I think of all of the court cards is I think of I think of them as like each of the different lenses is like the queens are all or the woman are all the water of the heart of something. And so the queen of swords is the heart of air. She's the heart of the mind. And the thing about her is that she really is that discern. And the key word I use for her is discernment because she is in that alignment between heart and head where there is no severing, there is no separation. And then, you know, there's just a synergy that allows us to make choices that are so much better. Harrison, we are almost at the top of the hour, amazingly. And I would really love to for listeners who are just beginning to discover this idea of ancestral healing and who are listening mm -hmm. to us and going like, okay, yeah, that's all fine and good, Harrison and Jen, but what, what the hell am I going to do about this? Yeah. What would be like the baby steps, the very, very incremental first steps we can take towards the ancestral healing, towards this, this path? Well, the first thing that came up immediately, even before you finished asking that question, was getting into a space and place where you feel safe, you feel supported, and where you feel seen. And the reason I say that is, like I said before, this is deep. This is not, we're not just talking about this lifetime now, right? We're talking about multiple generations and a lot of different elements that if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel supported, if you don't feel seen, not only are they most likely not going to show up, but if they do show up, you're going to be caught off guard and you're going to go into more of a trauma response. Right? We, we live in a world at the moment, and I don't, this is probably not new to, what, to people listening, but we live in a world at the moment where it's so easy for us to be outside of our body. Right? Being, yes. One of my mentors calls it the externalization of the self. Right? Through all of the stresses that are happening in the world, not only are we not safe in our bodies, we're not in the bodies to begin with. So it's the first step I would encourage people listening 
is whether it's working with someone, Mm -hmm. whether it's starting to educate yourself to provide the space for yourself, is getting into a space where you feel supported, safe, and seen. Right. This is there's a reason within the energetic system, the chakra system that I spend a lot of time working with, there's a reason that the root center is chakra number one. Right. It's because we need that safety and support and security for the energy to start flowing upwards. Right. And one of the areas this energy starts flowing into is this ancestral path. Right. So I guess that's that's step number one in my experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you were speaking about externalization, it occurs to me that getting ourselves to a place where we feel supported, safe, and seen starts as an inside job. That if we are looking to the outside world to feel supported, safe, and seen, we are still caught in that externalization pattern. And so it's like, I would just go to that next level of sort of, and and in many ways, your journey really feels to me like this is what this is about, that you chose you. You chose to validate and honor and acknowledge what was the truth within yourself. And you chose to allow it to be safe and to allow yourself to be seen by yourself, Mm -hmm. to allow yourself to acknowledge yourself and it strikes me that like it is not about i don't know like it's not about like having the right apartment or the right job or the right partner it's about we have to be supported safe and seen within ourselves from ourselves yeah yeah and i will just say jennifer just in case people are getting confused by this the when you do reach out f- to someone to support you with this I think the slight nuance here is that person that is supporting you has to realize that they are not giving you anything, mm-hmm. right? That, that they, are help, they are holding your hand so you can come back to that truth, right? A lot of, and I see this in myself sometimes and I see this in other practitioners in the world, it can be so easy for us to be in that ego, right? When someone does come to us for support, we then take the power and feel like we're giving them something. But when you're on this journey, back to yourself to feel that safety, support, and security, and you do reach out to someone, realize that that's someone that you're reaching out to, the best thing that they can do for you is be the mirror of love, right? Be the mirror of love that you can look into that might be smudge-free, right? Because you're still working through your traumas and pains. That is smudge-free so you can see yourself fully, maybe for the first time in a long time, to then provide those answers for yourself. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, and as you were speaking about, you know, as healers, it can really be painful to witness a situation that somebody is going through that we are completely powerless over. But I think that there is something so much more powerful about being a loving witness to somebody's journey. And to be able to be like, that really sounds hard. And I can only imagine how difficult this is for you right now. And I am so like, I just, I am sending you so much love for what you are going through, as opposed to getting all caught up in the cursed house and the, how are we going to fix this? What are we going to make better? I've got a dear friend who is currently going through just a rough patch. A lot of some health stuff is up, some financial stuff is up, some, you know, identity shifting is going on. 
And it would be so easy to feel like, how can I rescue this? Yes. And there is nothing I can do to rescue this other than just say, this is what I'm working on. This is the stuff I'm discovering for myself. These are the things that I'm knowing. Maybe it will be helpful to you. Maybe it won't be helpful to you. And if there's one thing that I trust, this too shall pass. I believe in you. I believe in your resilience. And I know, like, I know that yes, this sucks and it's not going to last forever. Mm -hmm. You're standing in your light in that moment. Yeah. Right. You standing in your light is so bright that it's rippling into them to, to realize, even if it's for a moment, that if Jennifer is so powerful, right, this light that I obviously feel in my heart of her, if she can admit this, what am I capable of? What am I? What capable am I? The fact that I'm resonating with her, the fact that I feel it in itself shows me that I need something inside of me to receive that. So the fact that I'm feeling it in my heart in itself says that I can do that too. Well, and as above, so below, as within, so without. If we are all, you know, I believe that the other side of it is that we resonate with the things that are all that are within that that exist. And so, you know, and I'm not saying like if you see somebody who's being an abusive perpetrator, that there is an abusive perpetrator within you, but there is a trigger, there is a memory, there is a pain that it is activating. And if light and joy is being activated, that means that's within us as well. So I love that you hold that up. Harrison, I could talk with you forever. Like you and I could have, I mean, this feels like the thousand year old or 10,000 year old conversation that we're just picking up from the last time we were sitting on a mountaintop chatting with each other. You know, I could just keep this conversation going on forever and we've hit the top of the hour. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Jennifer. And as you said, just really being in this space today has helped me remember more pieces of you. So I received the love, but I'm going to throw it back to the space that you've created. Mm -hmm. So Harrison, is there any, before I let you go, is there any additional, like, pearl of wisdom that you want to drop on the audience in regards to ancestral healing anything yeah well i guess what i would say is and this is really a big part of my mission at the moment in this world is as you've been listening to this episode today how has it been making you feel and the reason i ask that is i've a big part of my journey and we didn't get to talk about it today but it's really intrinsic within the experience that I've had, has been coming back to a, a deeper understanding of what my higher power and that, that divine source inside of me is. And the answer that I've come to, and it's definitely not definitive and it's always changing, always expanding, but where I'm at at the moment is that that higher power is love. So the last little thing I want to share here with everyone as you've been listening to this show today and things may have been coming up, you may have been resonating, you may have been triggered, ask yourself, what is the essence, what is the power, what is the source that both those polarities are coming from? And if we can be in that, that source, that space, that love more often, I've noticed in my experience, not only do we start to heal, whether it's through the ancestral healing, the inner child, whatever the thing is, but we now start to share more of what we actually are. And I believe what we are at that source is that love energy. Mm. 
What a beautiful place for us to complete this conversation for right now. And as you were saying, you know, you started, there were other pieces of the story that were not covered. And I can absolutely imagine, you know, having you back for an additional chapter of the conversation. So Harrison, how can people get in touch with you? Well, Jennifer, I just want to say thank you for having me, my friend. My pleasure. It's one thing to, it's one thing to have a conversation you know, on my show, it's another thing to offer me to come on yours and have a chat. So I just want to say thank you for the invitation. And it's been a beautiful pleasure to reflect more on my journey today. And there is a difference, and you shared this with me, there's a difference between hosting a show and being a guest on a show. So I just want to gratitude for letting me do this. Uh, Very super quick, so we can finish here. People, if if you're listening and tuning in, the best way to get in touch with me is either through my website, Harrison Ma, Ma spelled com. I'm also found on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse at Harrison Ma. Harrison Ma spelled the same, name, same way. And if people are interested, uh, one of the biggest things I'm doing at the moment within the work, other than one-on-one coaching, is I'm really cultivating that safe, support, supportive, and secure space for beings to come back into themselves through inner child healing, through ancestral healing. And I have a container, a group coaching container that I'm running at the moment. So if people have resonated with my voice, definitely reach out to me and we can have a chat about what that looks like to bring you on board. Mm, awesome. And don't forget your podcast. My beautiful podcast is The Cosmic Love Antenna. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Harrison, thank you so much for being with me today. It has been truly a pleasure. Love you, my friend. Love you right back, honey. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, three basics for finding calm in the eye of the storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.